Hello and welcome back to The Gold Podcast. I'm Helena Beer, the editor of Gold, and I'm very happy to be back in the studio today with my co-host and the assistant editor of Gold, Isabel O'Brien. How are you doing, Isabel? Hello, yes, very good. Finally better from my various illnesses <laughs> I seem to have been suffering with as the seasons changed. But yeah, I'm doing all good now. How's your week been? I know you had an exciting trip last week. I did, yes. Um, good to have you back, by the way. I was going to launch into me, but let's <laughs> talk about you a bit longer. Um, yes, you've had a real string of bad luck with your illnesses recently. So it's, uh, yeah, really good that you are completely better now. And hopefully that's your lot for the year. Um, but yes, I uh, made a trip north to my best friend's wedding, um, which was wonderful. It was postponed from the pandemic, so they've been engaged for nearly four years, um, and it was a fabulous celebration. Everybody really went all out to make up for uh, the long wait. So uh, yes, all good and good to be back, cracking on with uh, Gold 25 at the minute. We are indeed. It's our final issue of the year. It's going to be out this December, and it's shaping up to be an exciting one. Um, some really interesting topics in there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, read the cover feature this week, and uh, Isabel's done a very good job on that. Uh, really interesting uh, medical affairs topic. So, yeah, looking forward to sharing that and the rest of the issue with everybody um, in, well, not very many weeks' time now. Yeah, quite soon, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pressure's on. Um, but without further do should we get cracking with this episode i think we should um so coming up later and um, we'll be sharing a brilliant conversation between our editorial executive jade williams who was an excellent stand-in for us both last week don't you think mm. um and christoph glatzer who is chief global value and access officer at johnson and johnson um, but before that we'll kick things off as ever with some news you might have missed So, Isabel, what's been happening in the news this past week? Do share. So, uh, investors in the market this week have been turning their attention towards psychedelics, with Lysaris Therapeutics having raised $60 million to start phase one clinical trials of its new depression candidate. So the company has initially secured an exclusive worldwide license to use Catalan's fast-dissolving tablet technology for its psychedelic molecule, which is called, I'm going to try and do this, 5-methoxy-NN-dimethotryptamine. Very good (laughs) effort there. (laughs) Which is inactive when given orally, as it is too rapidly metabolized. And the tech should allow the formulation to dissolve under the tongue within seconds without the need for water in a sublingual approach. So simplifying administration for patients hugely. Speaking on this drive forward, Andrew Levin, who is the interim CEO of Losaris, said that this new drug has the potential to provide an important therapeutic advance for patients with severe depression who lack an effective treatment option. Excellent. I love the fact that you did quote marks with your fingers as you said his <laughs> quote there. That was brilliant. Um, but yes, that's great news for the future of depression treatment. The psychedelics market seems to be really picking up at the moment. Um, and it's definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on um, as it'll be a new challenge for, for pharma marketers. Something else that caught my eye this week was the MHRA's approval of MSD's Vaxnuvents. This is the first approval of a paediatric vaccine for pneumococcal disease in 10 years. 
The vaccine's indication has now been expanded to cover adolescents, children and infants from six weeks old after previously having only been available for those aged 18 and over. The approval was based on pivotal results from clinical trials, which found that a three or four dose regimen of MSD's vaccine was deemed the most effective for healthy infants and children and a single dose most effective for healthy children and adolescents. Well, that is very amazing news that younger children can now be protected from these life-altering diseases, certainly. Um, Other news that I also picked up on this week was from AstraZeneca. Um, So they have performed a study called Inside CKD that has revealed rates of widespread undiagnosed chronic kidney disease across the globe. So the data from this study uh, found incredibly high rates of undiagnosis, sitting at 61.6% to a whopping 95.5% in the US, France, Italy, Germany and Spain. Goodness me, that's truly shocking numbers there. Mm-hmm. Mena Pangalos, Executive Vice President Biopharmaceuticals R&D at AstraZeneca, noted that chronic kidney disease is a silent, progressive killer that remains underdiagnosed. He additionally stated that the data provides a comprehensive view of the costs associated with CKD, but also how Farziga, AstraZeneca's CKD medication, could cut 33% of healthcare costs by delaying progression and reducing the incidence of cardiorenal events so great news there absolutely now uh, up next as we mentioned earlier gold recently spoke to christoph glatzer who is the chief global value and access officer at johnson and johnson Christoph has spent over 20 years at J&J, a very impressive stint at the company, in which he has held multiple roles across the value and access pipeline, including health economics and strategic marketing and market access. Indeed, this interview has been a year in the planning as Christoph's diary is so jam-packed, he's always travelling, so it was an absolute pleasure to have him finally join us. He and Jade discussed his career in market pricing and access, as well as some of the most pressing issues facing this area of pharma currently. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello Christoph, so happy to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. Hope the same for you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you that don't know, Christoph Glitzer is the Chief Global Value and Access Officer at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And he's someone that I've been itching to talk to for a very long time. So I'm very happy that you all get to hear our wonderful conversation today. Um, Right. I'm going to get straight into the questions, if that's okay. My first one that I have for you is just... If you could explain to our audience what your role at Janssen involves and what your specific day-to-day looks like. Absolutely. And first of all, thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. And thanks for your your interest and the interest of of the audience. Um, What my job looks like, I would say I have the best job that you can have in in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, And let me maybe explain a little bit on why I believe this is true. Because what, what I have the pleasure to be involved with on, on a daily basis is, is basically the entire spectrum of um, drug development and, and bringing drugs and innovations to patients. So on a normal day, I may be involved in a call in the morning where we talk about new disease areas where there's high unmet need and where we see a potential scientific opportunity and we discuss what 
this disease look like? What is the epi situation? What is that, that unmet need that is there for patients? What does the disease do? What is the impact on life for single individuals? What's the impact for societies? And then from there, we think about what could we do to improve this? What is science telling us? Then I may jump on another call, another meeting where we have a product already in a later stage of development after proof of concept, where then the question is, what evidence do we need to generate to ensure that this drug is also um, seen as being meaningful by not only the regulatories, but also by the payers, HDA systems in the world, and, and we design clinical trial programs. And then I may have an other meeting in the afternoon for a product which is in the launch phase already on the market where the discussion on the involvement with, with payers, HDA bodies, on the value proposition, value demonstration, or negotiation on, on access and, and price is relevant. Um, and we go into the details there. So it's fascinating from a kind of span of, of concepts and questions and tasks. And it's also fascinating because you always have different stakeholders to talk with R&D, talk with medical affairs, or we talk with commercial, with the countries, the people on the ground that are responsible for, for the implementation. So really, everything that you can just dream about where you would be involved in, in bringing innovations to, to the markets and the patients. And I would argue only in market access, you have that full spectrum. And uh, that's why I love what I do. I do it for a long time already. And I couldn't think about a better job that you can have. Oh, that's amazing. Really happy to hear that. And I, I hope you enjoy meetings because that sounds like a lot of them in one day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like to work with people, right? So that comes uh, very handy. Yeah, I can imagine. Would you consider yourself an extrovert in that sense? No, um, I think I'm an introvert, extrovert, depending on, on what the situation is. I think I have e equally good listening skills as I have uh, skills to also contribute and uh, guide discussions in specific directions. Mm -hmm. Very good. Best of both. Um, you mentioned there that you've been interested in medical pricing and access from quite early on in your pharma career. And this is a field that you've been in for quite some time. What encouraged you to focus your professional efforts on this field of pharma? Yes, it's uh, a little bit where I started in, in the industry itself was in an, what we call operating com companies. So it means in the market in, in Germany on the, the, in the kind of, you can say the last mile, right? Delivering, um, drugs and innovations to, to the markets and implementing, talking with, with buying customers, hospitals, purchasing groups, physicians, and later on governments about it. And, and there I could see that, that the, the real impact that we have is only when the drugs reach the patients, right? It's when they really get into the market. So that's this part, uh, which is, is basically the last piece to be successful is very complex and fascinating and interesting but also a very important one. And you can only be successful there if you influence the way how we develop the drugs early on. So I could see there in, in this space where, where kind of the rubber hits the road, whatever you want to call it, where the real impact of what we do is in getting as close to, to patients as possible. And it's uh, just something which I think is fascinating that you are there involved in that, that stage where, where you really want to make sure that all the investments that we had before also get recognized and we are able to bring bring innovations to patients itself 
and get the reward for innovation at the same time that we need again to be able to engage with the discussions that I mentioned at the beginning and early stages where we see what is what is the next opportunity that we want to get to. So it, it's kind of that comes all together, you want to you want to call it this way. Okay, cool. So it really like merges all towards the end. That's yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so on the subject of bringing innovations to patients, um, one thing that I do want to talk to you about today is some of the value and access issues that we're facing at the moment on earth. Um, I really want to get your opinion on what some of the most pressing issues are currently that need to be resolved in your opinion. And then if you have any suggestions on how these should be approached, that would be handy as well. No, no, very good question. And there's only something every day happening somewhere in the world where, where, we, where we see a challenge or an opportunity where we can do even better. But I think the, the, the big topic that, that uh, certainly is, is on, on many people's mind, my mind, again, because I'm in, in this situation where I see where science is going and what the next, next breakthrough therapy options will be. And at the same time, I'm involved in trying to get innovations over the, the access hurdle with uh, HDA systems and payer discussions and everything. And the, the, the issue that I see is, is an increasing disconnect you can call it between where science is going and what we can now nowadays do and how that is is reflected and respected and seen as being meaningful in the existing frameworks if you think about new treatment modalities that we are working on like like gene and cell that that have the absolute opportunity to deliver options that that may only include a one time treatment which has a durability of 5 10 and more years, or actually we are at the edge of, of being able to deliver curative medicines soon. That's absolutely fascinating. And then we see this in many therapeutic areas. But then these innovations kind of hit sometimes regulatory frameworks that are still in a traditional way, right? Where you treat someone today and tomorrow and chronically, and then there's a value of, of that treatment every day. But now you come with a solution where you treat it one time and then the value is, is, is you can say, spread for, mm -hmm. for many years or for the rest of, of life. Um, and that, that just sometimes doesn't fit into the, the way how, how payment mechanisms work, how reimbursement works, or how treatments also evaluated by, by some of the value frameworks or health technology assessments. Where, where, where if you think about early lines of, of cancer, for example, the, the patient doesn't have symptoms yet. Or if you think about areas where we go in gene therapy for, for visual impaired um, patients where, where you want to treat early, so the disease is not there yet. So then you start the treatment, but within the trials, you can't, literally speaking, see the benefits yet because the event hasn't occurred yet because you prevent the event, right? But the systems want us to deliver evidence on, on the event or the avoidance of the event. So that is certainly a challenge where we need to work together with stakeholders to your question, what can we do about it and see how we jointly develop frameworks that, that capture the value and also payment options and mechanisms that allow for that long-term value capturing of, of these, these cool innovations that are coming. Yeah, I imagine it must be quite hard bringing these innovations to the fore in 
an organization and then being met with what you described there are the access hurdle I think that's a really good term to use where you're trying to do the best for patients but then there's so many regulatory frames to jump through but it's you know you're doing the best for the patient at the end of the day so yeah really interesting point thank you I wanted to get your opinion on this. What are some key steps that pharma companies must do to ensure their products reach those living in low and middle income countries? Obviously, we've just come out of COVID um, and there was quite a big access challenge there distributing vaccines to lower income countries. And then um, recently off the back of monkeypox, I know it was it soon became an infodemic rather than a pandemic as everyone was thinking. But there was quite a big struggle there as well, making sure that monkeypox was being treated in um, rural Africa where it was already quite endemic but it only really got attention once it reached the western shores so yeah do you have any opinions on any quick tips for pharma companies? Yeah I think it's it's certainly the reference to to COVID is is an interesting one because there I think the world we all together learned that that um, access is a broader definition right you not only need need to have the vaccine you also need to be able to bring it to the different parts of the world, including yeah, more practical questions like supply chain and, and, and cooling and everything. But I think the underlying question that you're asking, I think that, that where you are going is how do we ensure as, as, as uh, societies and pharmaceutical industry being a partner of the society that we bring innovations and treatment options to ideally all parts of the world? What we do as, as Janssen, and I, and, I, and I would say that, that all the companies do, is certainly in our efforts always think really globally, worldwide. So there's, there's not only um, the view on, on Europe or US, we really look at it, okay, where is, is the, the disease burden, right? Where are the patients? And the patients are normally everywhere in the world. Sometimes you have areas where there's a higher disease burden in the one or the other part of the world, and then you specifically focus on, on, on these areas. But in general, we have an approach where we say access and affordability and sustainability applies equally to the world. So we need to be tailored. There's not one size fits all in, in the strategies that we develop. From an evidence generation, there, there may be one, because normally the evidence for treatment options is the same from a clinical point of view, but the, the value may already be different in different healthcare systems. And then certainly we also have to respect that, that healthcare systems in their ability to implement new treatment options also from just pure logistical point of view are different, that they are different from the level of, of let's say, the educational um, system readiness from the infrastructure. And then also from affordability, where we certainly have systems in place as well, where we try to address all these, these different needs that are there beyond just having the, just in parentheses, right? Having the solution and the treatment option there to really be able to implement them as, as much as possible. I personally had the pleasure to, to work for many, many years in, in Asia Pacific as well. They're responsible for access um, specifically in, in across the, the region. And there you have markets like Japan fully developed um, healthcare system, and then you have more middle-income countries and lower-income countries where equally we put efforts behind it as much as possible to bring solutions in these markets, work with the governments there, depending on what their stage of the development of the healthcare system is, what else we can contribute as an industry 
to get to the broadest and biggest impact um, that we will all have in mind for, for the patients in these countries. Mm, for sure. Great. Thank you for that. Um, right. So from my understanding, from looking at your extensive career history on LinkedIn, it seems you've spent more than 20 years working at J&J. So you clearly love it there. What's been your proudest achievement over these years? Um, yeah. Yes, I mean, if you, if you look at your own CV, you, you figure out that you're really getting old. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I had the pleasure to have a very, very fascinating or have um, fascinating career within one company where I was able to work in, in um, different work and live in different parts of the world, US, Asia, Europe, and, and working basically everywhere in the world. Um, to pick one achievement, first of all, achievement sounds like a, a big, big word. Um, what, what I'm proud about um, to use may, maybe this is, is, is maybe more than one. Um, one definitely being able to guide J&J or Janssen as well on the journey to really fully implement the access needs, the requirements that we see across the globe into our global strategies and do this systematically by having market access as on the on the top of the agenda in basically all the discussions that we have for the compounds to say how do we not only develop them for regulatory but also for the payer and HDA body needs across the globe and this is now fully systematically done for every product at every stage gates um, and I, I take some pride in it that I was able to do so together certainly with the teams it's never a single person that achieves something with visit teams to get get the organization there and then the, maybe the second one related to people that i have many many friends within j and j within the company that i'm working for and many colleagues that i had the pleasure to guide throughout their career that that moved on in the organization to as we say better greater um, or sometimes also in other parts of of the industry and have a successful career there as well, where you get this, this direct reward from, from working together, guiding, coaching, mentoring um, talent at earlier stages in their career and to see how they progress. That is certainly something that, that I look on and if I talk with, with them, makes me feel happy and proud. That's really good. Yeah, both, I mean, massive achievements. And I think a good leader is something that we all strive for in life. So very well done on that front. I'm sure that all the people that you've guided towards onwards and upwards will say the same of you too. Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's been great to chat with you. I just have one final question to sort of bring it all together. Do you have any advice for those embarking on their first steps within the field of access on what they should really be doing to move forward in the role? Good question. Um, I, I, I think in, in to be successful in, in the broader definition of, of market access, but, but maybe in, in general, in, 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 in definitely in farm, but I guess it applies to, to many careers as well, is that, that on one hand, you have to develop your core competence and, and have a strong foot somewhere, right? It's in, in market access, most people come from either health economics background, PharmD background, medical background, statisticians, epidemiologists, to have your, your, your grounding there and be, be an expert in that particular area. And then 
enrich this 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 uh, foundation with as many as diverse experiences as you can get in the shortest time frame, ideally, because the, the real learning, I think, which then also helps you to grow is when you get out of this comfort zone, your, your core and apply it and use it and get it, let it get challenged in different settings and in different environments. I learned the most when I, after I jumped on a plane first time to US, not knowing where I was going and, and how this, this work will look like. Um, and, and then you, you, you put yourself in an area that you don't know, uh, where you try to, to progress, to be able to contribute and again, use that, that core that you have um, and enrich it with experiences. Same when I moved to Asia, Again, there are lots of new opportunities, but also new challenges, new situations where you had to be um, flexible and adapt to that specific situation, but, but never leave your core, right? Um, always as try to go back to what, what drives you, what you believe in, and what, what you did, so to speak, when, when you started, uh, because this is what you then make even more impactful and successful while you move on. I think it's a really lovely note to end on. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. I think that's some really great advice for anyone really moving into any role. Really remember your core, remember what's driving you forward. And I'm going to take that with me over the next few days. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been a real delight to talk to you and I hope we can meet up again soon. Absolutely. That would be brilliant. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm so pleased Christoph was finally able to join us on the podcast and to have that really important conversation. And I hope his advice on remembering individual core drives is something that all of our listeners can take away. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much to Christoph for joining us today. And thanks to you for listening. Yes, and do be sure to rate, comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss out on next week's episode. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Bye.